On today's episode, we're talking about why it is that people don't believe the gospel. Welcome to the Pactum. This is a Lone Ranger edition because I'm Pat Abendroth without Mike Grimes. A fiery horse with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver. The Lone Ranger. Before we dive into the reasons for unbelief, which is what the show is dedicated to today, we do have something in the news to address, something oh so controversial, and that something that's in the news is the Asbury Revival taking place in Kentucky. I'm recording this on the 20th of February, 2023, so if you're maybe six months from now or a year from now, you won't even know what it is, probably, um, but I'll just take a few minutes to address it. I'll keep my comments. Comments brief. I maybe did see on the news today uh, that they uh, that the powers that be, the university faculty, uh, they were shutting it down. So I'm not sure what that says about a sovereign work of the spirit when the faculty of a small Christian college can shut it down. Uh, but I guess I'm already showing my cards. Uh, I'm not a fan here on the Pactum. We're not fans. Uh, we wouldn't promote such things uh, because, well, we've already addressed these kinds of things. We had an episode called Fadianity, as in it's a fad. That's episode 68. So check that out. Also, we had an episode where we addressed this sort of thing in a more positive way. And that episode is called Ordinary Means. It's episode 16. The Lord Jesus Christ in this age has given us ordinary means, and the ordinary means are extraordinary means. And when I say means, I mean means to sanctification, means to salvation. He's given us, number one, the right preaching of the Word of God, and he has also, number two, given us the right administration of the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, and baptism. These are things he's given to his church. And so when it comes to how, how do I grow in godliness? How is it that a person is saved? It's not through some extraordinary sort of thing. No, God uses to do extraordinary things. He uses the ordinary. And so that's why we wouldn't be fans. Uh, we think evangelicals sometimes, sadly, are into all sorts of things other than what they're supposed to be into. And I, you might be asking yourself, you might be thinking, you might be asking me, you might be saying, well, who are you to criticize this? What, what's it? It's not a, any of your business anyway. Well, it's actually my business because I'm a pastor and I'm a Christian and I care about other Christians. And this isn't um, private news now. This is something that's national news. It's actually worldwide news. And so I do want to address it. I'm not a big fan of revivalism. If you read anything about history, Charles Grandison Finney is the main name associated with it. He was a heretic. He believed that as long as he did certain things, he could convert anyone, only to have him, Finney himself, later in his life saying that his converts are a disgrace to the Christian religion. And then if you back up to revival, maybe we say revival's better than revivalism. So we're not talking about the second great awakening, which is associated with Finney. We're talking about the first great awakening uh, associated with others like Whitfield. Well, even then, even there, Whitfield has a lot of problems theologically. I'm thankful that his theology was better than Wesley's in that he was a Calvinist, but at the same time, uh, he was uh, very mystical and very unstable because of his uh, less than stellar theology. 
Also, I'd want to point out to you uh, that Asbury is in the Wesleyan holiness tradition. And so they're into this kind of stuff. This is in their lane and it's a different lane than I'm in. Uh, I'm in the lane of biblical reformed orthodoxy, where we believe in things like ordinary means to do extraordinary things like bring about the new birth and to help people to grow spiritually, to have people be spiritually stable, to have people be spiritually stable, not spiritually unstable. And these things tend to do that. I remind you of what the apostle Paul said in first Corinthians one and two, where he's addressing the Corinthians and they seem to want something more shiny, more spectacular. And after all, he's super articulate. He's super smart. Not only that, he's, he's an apostle. And he basically says, no, I committed myself to preaching the clear, simple gospel to you so that your faith would not rest on anything other than the true Christ. See, even that, it leads to stability. Unfortunately, many times when it comes to these uh, unique kind of supposed revivals, people uh, have some kind of experience and, uh, and it's not lasting and they end up walking away and they're more calloused than they were before uh, because what they experienced wasn't real. It was just emotional. It was caught up in the moment. Uh, and it's really kind of sad to see. So let's not be gullible. Uh, God can do anything he wants to do, but remember he's recorded in his word what he's going to do. And so we hold everything up to that. What we need to do is be more committed to the basics. We need to be more committed to what it says in Hebrews 2.1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And we know what he's referring to there when he says to what we've heard, he's, he's referring back to chapter one. What we've heard is God's final, ultimate climactic revelation, and it's in his son, the Lord Jesus. And I would remind you, listeners, I would remind you that the Lord Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. What, have a, a radical, crazy, emotional experience? No, do this in remembrance of me, eating and drinking, bread and wine. And what do we do? We do that till he comes again. Uh, that is actually prescribed by him. And yet it's not very shiny. It's not very sparkly. It's not very emotional. And yet that's exactly what we have for our spiritual nourishment, if you will, as we hear the word of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ pro proclaimed. So enough about that. We'll move on. And uh, some of you asked me to weigh in on that. That's all I will say about it. Um, nothing more really needs to be said about it. Uh, what will last uh, would, will be the ordinary means, and it will lead to flourishing uh, spiritually, stability spiritually, uh, unlike the Wesleyan holiness kind of emotionalism. Oh, maybe one more thing. Somebody, somebody might say, and I've heard people saying, well, I've been there, I've seen it. And so you can't tell me what I have, I haven't, have not seen and experienced. And I would simply say, uh, okay, you can go there and you can see it, but what is it that you've seen? You, you've seen something and you're going to interpret it the way you want to interpret it. I could go there and see it and I would interpret it differently. I've been to a Benny Hinn healing crusade and I interpreted it differently than some other people did, especially when I saw all the sick people, sadly, uh, still leaving in their buses with their um, lame pastors, uh, taking them back to their buses still with their crutches. So uh, remember, um, look to Christ. Ultimately, you will find thriving and stability. But today, here's what we wanted to focus on today. Enough of that. Today's theme is the reasons for unbelief or the reason for unbelief. Why is it that people don't believe the gospel? This is a follow-up to our recent series that we, that we did on objections. There are all kinds of obje objections to the Christian faith. We've addressed some of those objections. Uh, and so now we want to say, okay, 
What's the thing behind the thing like we like to say on the Pactum? What is it that's behind this? Why is it that people don't believe? And I want to offer two answers, the one first briefly, and then the second one more detailed theologically and looking at the text of Scripture. But if we begin by saying, why is it, asking, why is it that people don't believe? We're going to say, well, number one, the simple answer is sometimes people don't believe or they reject because they actually don't know what the gospel actually is. Stop and think about that with me for a moment. It is true that there are some who reject Christ who don't actually even know who Christ is. They reject the gospel, but they don't actually even know what the gospel is. They think they know what the gospel is. Maybe someone told them this is what the gospel is. uh, And yet they actually are rejecting something other than the biblical gospel. Some people are who are not Christians think that Christians believe in faith in fiction or faith in themselves. They or they they think that somehow the gospel is following Jesus, and as important as following Jesus is, and it is, it's not the gospel. And so, what we need to remember is, and this is one of the reasons what we need to remember to keep preaching the clear gospel. And it's one of the reasons I love to preach the gospel and to proclaim the truth about Christ, because I know that many people who think they actually know what it is actually don't know what it is. And so, let's provide clarity regarding the gospel so that when people accept it or reject it, they're at least accepting or rejecting that which is legitimate, that which is nothing other than the true gospel. Now, just so there's no misunderstanding, I'm not saying that people who've heard something other than the gospel and have rejected it are somehow off the hook. No, that's not, that's not the case. They're still sinners. They're still obligated. They still have a sin problem. Uh, but let's be clear. We want people to understand what the gospel is, whether they affirm it or reject it. We prefer that they affirm it, but let's make sure we're getting the gospel out. Let's make sure we're getting it clear. And now we talk about a second reason why people don't believe the gospel, why people don't trust in Christ. And ultimately, rejecting Christ is a spiritual issue. That's why. It's not because they haven't heard it right. It's not because they haven't heard it clearly. It's not that at all. Ultimately, rejecting Christ is a spiritual issue. It is not an intellectual issue. So maybe first and foremost, it's intellectual because you need to know things. You need to understand things in order to believe things. But really, ultimately, eventually, it's not intellectual. It's spiritual. It's not for a lack of evidence. It's not for a lack of information. Uh, And this is important that we get this. I did not get this early on in my Christian life. I thought if every Everyone heard the gospel. Everyone would believe the gospel. Uh, It made so much sense to me. It was so patently obvious to me that I was going around telling people about the gospel, expecting everyone to believe it. And uh, they, they didn't kind of reminds me about what Jesus taught in some of the parables, like in Matthew 13, but I didn't know anything about that at the time. So let's remember that not even the nicest people not not even our grandmothers and grandfathers and great grandparents if we have them not even the nicest people that we know are spiritually neutral if if we could get that out and clear we would really be ahead of the game not People are not spiritually neutral, not even the nicest people. Colossians 1, 21 says that we were alienated. He's talking about we who are Christians, but he's saying unbelievers are alienated, alienated and get this hostile in mind. So they're, they're intellectually hostile doing evil deeds. And I think it's important that we we remember that they might be intellectually hostile with a smile on their face. But because of sin, because of the fall, it's how it leaves people and it leaves them 
hostile in mind, alienated from God. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 is also helpful because it describes us in our unbelieving state before Christ. We're referred to as enemies and we're not at peace with God as Romans 5 1 talks about. And so there, there's, there's tension. If you're an enemy, there, there's hostility. We're not spiritually neutral. We're not morally neutral. We're not even intellectually neutral. Well, there's all kinds of passages on this, and I don't want to leave too many of them out. How about Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 18? It talks about being, uh, unbelievers being futile in their minds, so it is a mental problem. It also says darkened in their understanding, so they're mentally darkened, if you will, uh, under, uh, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, and then it says because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. How about that? Did you notice? Hardness of heart leads to a certain kind of spiritual ignorance. It is a heart problem. It is a spiritual problem. Unbelief is. And I hope you're already thinking, well, that means only God can help. And if you're thinking that way, that's true, but you're getting ahead of me. Let me remind you also of what it says in Ephesians chapter two. We go here a lot on the pactum because it's a good place to go to understand grace and the place of trusting in Christ. In Ephesians chapter two, verse one, it says you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all. So this isn't just for the super bad people. This is a universal thing among, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. Oh, how about that? And we're by nature, children of wrath. So there we have it. Even by nature, he says like the rest of mankind. And then he goes on to say, but God, God is the one who intervenes. God is the one who steps in. God is the one who acts. We have to keep this in mind. Louis Burkhoff says, in the will, this depravity, talking about the depravity of these texts that they teach, in the will, this depravity manifests itself as spiritual, get this, inability. The unbeliever is spiritually hostile. The unbeliever has a mental problem on a spiritual level uh, as an unbeliever, but not only that, uh, it renders them unable. They're unable to believe the gospel, not because of anything good or neutral in them, but because of hostility in them. And so we have Jesus saying things like this in John chapter 10, verse 26, but you did not believe because you are not of my sheep. So there's something even behind the unbelief itself. One more text regarding this, and that would be 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person, that would be the unbelieving person, the, people who, the person who is not redeemed, regenerated, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly. They are foolishness to him, and he is not able. How about that? He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So there is a spiritual inability that is true for the unbeliever. This is very, very helpful when it comes to evangelism. It's very, very helpful when it comes to even, how about this, answering objections. I want to, I want to answer objections all day long. I love to answer objections. There should be answers to the objections because Christianity is true. But I know always in my mind that it's actually a spiritual matter. Yes, I want to give them the right data. Yes, I want to answer the objections. But at the end of the day, what's keeping them from trusting in Christ is not my 
lack of fantastic, perfect answers. Uh, no, the Spirit of God has to work within them. There's a spiritual hostility, and that is the problem. I guess we could add one more text because it's kind of a double whammy adding insult to injury. So not only not only are we spiritually blind and hard-hearted and hostile in mind and all of those things, but 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 talks about how Satan, uh, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. And so not only are they spiritually dead, they're also blinded by satanic blinding. And so we really find unbelievers in an awful spot. And this is true of all of us. This is true of everyone apart from the gospel, apart from the work of God. Uh, But it is the spiritual state that we are in. It begs the question, what can be done? What needs to happen? And we know the right answer is God. God must give a new heart. God must bring about the new birth. God must do something. This is why we talk about monergism, not synergism, uh, because God is the one who must act. He must make people alive together with Christ. Ephesians chapter two, he must give a new heart, Ezekiel 36, uh, a new spirit. Because why? Because we have a heart of stone. We need to be given a heart of flesh. This is something that God needs to do and God only can do. That's what must be done. God must act. Not only that, now let's think about things from our perspective. We know God must act, but God has also called us as Christians to act. And what has he called us to do? He's called us to preach the gospel. He's called us to proclaim the good news about Jesus, the good news about salvation in Christ, his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and the forgiveness that can be found in him, the reconciliation that can be found in him. We must preach the good news. The gospel must be proclaimed. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 is crucial in all of this. Please make sure you know that text and you know what it teaches because it says faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So God has ordained to bring about saving faith in the life of unbelievers through the means of the proclamation of the gospel. And so we preach Christ to everyone. We don't know who the elect are, but we preach Christ to everyone knowing that God uses that proclamation. He uses that proclamation to bring about faith. And then the sinner believes in Jesus, which leads to justification. I suppose that also begs the question, well, where does the faith come from? Well, God grants saving faith and he grants saving faith to the elect. He must regenerate so that he can uh, make them alive so that they can do the right thing, which is believing in Christ. We're getting into all of those things while we're answering the question, Why is it that some people don't believe? Well, we know that people don't believe because it's a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual condition. And we want to be used of God to bring about something good and positive, which is faith in Christ. And so what what do we do? We understand the theology of it. And then we proclaim. We proclaim the good news to anyone and everyone who will hear us. We proclaim the good news to anyone and everyone, maybe sometimes even if they don't want to hear us, because we know that it's what the world needs to hear. We should also know that the elect will believe the gospel. We see this in Acts chapter 16. We see a wonderful example of this in Acts 16, verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord, I love it, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. 
See, the Lord did it. The Lord opened her heart and she believed in the gospel and was saved. We also can know that as we're thinking through the matter of why is it that some people don't believe? Well, because they're dead in trespasses and sins, but God uses the proclamation of the good news to bring about saving faith, and that leads to them being saved, and this happens in the life of the elect. We know all of these things, and as we know these things, as we know these things, we also can avoid doing things like manipulation. We don't have to stoop to some sort of... um, thing that's other than what's biblical. We don't have to somehow do salesperson techniques and we don't have to somehow, you know, uh, say it's the Holy Spirit, but really it's the dry ice (laughs) or things like that. We don't, we don't need to do that. We don't need to do Finney-esque kinds of techniques often associated with things that are sub-Christian to get people to do what we want them to do. Sure, we want them to believe, but we know that God is the one who grants saving faith. It has to be a work of God, and we know that God has ordained the means, which is proclamation. Now, some people are going to say, that's silly, that's crazy, you're crazy for believing that, and we know that that's true, and yet God uses even the foolish, which is apparently foolish to the unbeliever, to bring about the glorious. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and following, really does speak to this sort of thing. The apostle Paul says, and when I came to you, brothers, did I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. He could have, for I decided, I determined, I resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words with wisdom. I want to say, though they could have been, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, referring to the gospel folks. And then he says as a high point in verse five, so that your faith so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. How about that? He didn't convert them. He could have converted them, but they, then, then they would have been his converts and they wouldn't have lasted. And so what does he do? He sticks to the script. He does uh, God's ministry, God's way, the Lord's ministry, the Lord's way. And those believers are going to have a solid, uh, a solid standing, if you will, a stability. I wanted to make up a word, um, stable and solid at the same time there, but you get the idea. And so as they're wanting Paul, maybe to change his tactics to maybe win more people. So, so to speak, he says, I'm not going to do it. And you shouldn't really want me to do it when you stop and think about the way you became a Christian. And I'll ask you, dear listener, to think about the way you became a Christian. And I'm sure as you think about that, your conclusion is going to be, I heard the gospel and God worked in my life and he worked in my heart and he gave me a new heart and I came to believe in the gospel. You see, it wasn't through something extraordinary. It was actually through the ordinary, which is extraordinary. Just a couple of things before we, before we wrap up this episode on why it is that people don't believe. Uh, and one of those things I want to mention is the parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16, the rich man and Lazarus back and forth. And he says something rather profound regarding what, why people believe what they believe and why they don't believe. And Jesus does say at the end, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they, will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So as we're talking to people and they seem to maybe want more and more evidence, I'm willing to give it to them. I'm willing to talk to them. I'm willing to answer their objections ad finitum, ad nauseum. But I I know that ultimately, if they don't believe what the Bible says to be true, 
uh, they're not going to believe it, even if I could do a miracle there for them. And, and the reason this is important is because it speaks to the matter of spiritual inability. It speaks to the matter of, of why it is people really aren't believing and they're really not believing because it's a spiritual issue. It's actually not an intellectual issue. It's actually not a, if I could only see something supernatural kind of issue. No, at the end of the day, apart from the work of God, using the word of God, the gospel to bring about the new birth, it's not going to happen. And so we need to keep that in mind lest we lose our minds, uh, unless we find ourselves extremely discouraged. We don't want to do that. We preach to everyone knowing that those who are appointed unto eternal life will believe in time, Acts thirteen forty eight, and that keeps us on track. It keeps us from trying to doctor up the message. Uh, it keeps us sticking to the script. It keeps us even encouraged because we want to preach Christ to anyone and everyone till the Till the end, till the very end, knowing that God uses it to draw his own to himself. A couple of helpful resources on this whole topic that might help you uh, as far as why people don't believe the gospel and why people do believe the gospel, to put it more positively, uh, I would recommend our episode called Questioning Calvinism. It's episode 19. Questioning Calvinism might help you think through some of these matters theologically, because really, when we're talking about why people don't believe and we're talking about why, about why people believe, we're talking about a evangelism, or it's related to evangelism. And first and foremost, we need to, to understand what the gospel is if we're going to evangel, evangelize. But we also need to understand how the gospel works and how it works in the life of unbelievers. And then finally, another resource that's similar would be that little helpful book by J.I. Packer, by Jim Packer, called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And that book, I think, changed my life. Very, very helpful. It's been a long time since I've read it, but it's not very difficult to read. And it helps you to understand things like predestination and election and divine calling and all of these sorts of things, regeneration, and how God uses the preaching of the Word of God to bring about saving faith, to bring about the new birth and saving faith. So I would recommend that to you. We appreciate you listening to this episode, and we also appreciate you sharing the pactum with others. It is rather exciting to see all that is happening with people benefiting from the pactum. So thank you. Please continue to give us five stars if you would. Write a review if you've never done that before. And post pictures with your Pactum gear because, well, it's cool. And we'll see you next time on The Pactum. Pactum.